Welcome to the Dear NICU Mama podcast. Our mission is to connect the past and the present NICU mom by bringing them out of isolation and into a sisterhood of women who can stand alongside each other as we heal and grow both in and out of the NICU. Our hope is that through interviews with trauma-informed medical and maternal mental health experts and vulnerable stories from NICU mamas themselves, that you would feel connected to the Dear NICU Mama Sisterhood around the world. So, whether your NICU journey was 50 years ago, or whether you find yourself in the NICU today, we hope that this podcast reminds you that you are not alone. Hi, mamas, and welcome back to the Dear NICU Mama podcast. It's our host, Martha and <laughs> Ashley. For a second, first of all, our it's host. our host. Second of all, I do not remember who should speak first, even though I was the one currently speaking. <laughs> Oh, wow. Looking at you and me right now, Ash, I think we're in the same place as a lot of our, the mothers in the sisterhood right now. Uh, We're hanging by a thread, but we're getting there. For example, you are on the floor of a closet. (laughs) I, I am sweaty from the waist up and chilled from the waist down. So I have a blanket on my legs and a fan on my head. (laughs) Hormonal, hormonal imbalance. Am I right? (laughs) Something like that. Uh, well, it's, it is the season of coming out of, of cold and flu season, the season post cold and flu season. Oh, thank God. Are, are we going to make it fully out? I don't know. I don't know if we're going to make it. <laughs> we'll find out. How have you been feeling in your heart, Ash? <laughs> you can cut that out. That's fine. <laughs> no, I love it. I'm just like, at what point will we be on Jul- in July when this is released where my heart will be? I don't know. I mean, we'll, we'll see. Probably the same. Probably, Probably the just same. like burgeoning on the edge of a, of a mental breakdown at any point. <laughs> um, well, it is a pleasure to spend today on this. I, it's sunny where I am. I, it is not sunny where you are because you're in a closet, but um, <laughs> it's a pleasure to spend this afternoon with you. And as our audience knows, we often have the pleasure of either interviewing NICU moms from around the world or getting to speak with professionals, experts in the areas of obstetrics, of um, pelvic floor health, we've done that before, and of course, maternal mental health. But today we have the honor, the pleasure of having the wonderful, the illustrious Jessica Hotchkiss on the podcast with us. Yay. Thank you so much for being here. <laughs> so excited to be here. Jessica is a colleague and friend of our beloved Natalie Ryder. Oh, she's um, so fantastic. She's so great. She's the angel of all of our lives, and we love her so much. <laughs> and by association alone, you are also beloved. Oh my um, gosh, great. But we wanted to have you on today because uh, to talk specifically about the topic of grief. Yeah, mm-hmm. my favorite thing to talk about. <laughs> I, know. I know it truly Which is. is. People Which- laugh at it and they're like, Oh, really? It must be sad. And I'm like, just you wait. Yeah. Well, and that's why we're excited to have you on here because there's a kind of this myth or this like, what's the word? Um, connotation when you think of grief, yeah. you think of like death, you think of sadness, you think of overwhelm. And especially with what we talk about often in the NICU community, it's scary to acknowledge our grief. And so to have someone on the podcast that has such a positive outlook on talking about grief is going to be wonderful. Yes. Yeah. I, I Ash, you and I talk a lot about being um, like trauma nerds and like yes. grief nerds, yes. which is, which again, is kind of funny to talk about, but I, 
ironically enough, the, some of the times I've laughed the hardest have been when I've been doing uh, trauma and grief counseling, like with a <laughs> professional. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a lot of like joy and lightness to be had too in the conversation as well. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I think also that's a good way to say too, that a lot of times we avoid talking about our grief or acknowledging our grief. Yeah. When we finally do, we realize it's not as scary as it looks on the outside. And so Jessica, we are really excited to acknowledge some of the realities of what grief and grief isn't, bust some of the myths and preconceived ideas that we have of grief. And our hope by the end of this episode, Nikki Mamas, is that grief is a little bit less scary that you would give yourself permission to honor grief in whatever form that is in your motherhood journey. And also know that you can, and you will get through this. And so Jessica, let's do it. I'm so yes. pumped. Woohoo, ready <laughs> grief, for it. Grief, grief, mm, mm, Well, this mm, is the type grief, of group I grief. just want to be a part of forever. I love that energy. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. So maybe as a starting point, Jessica, yeah. let's backtrack a little bit. You said you love talking about grief. Can we, can we get to how you got to that place? (laughs) Why do you love talking about grief? Yeah. Well, such a, you know, anybody who knows me knows they're like, oh yeah, duh. Jessica loves talking about grief. And (laughs) and maybe sometimes she's not going to let us get away with not talking about grief in any (laughs) given conversation. Um, But I really found my love in this work um, as a certified child life specialist. So that's where Mm -hmm. I started my career. Um, And for those of you, and maybe a lot of our NICU moms actually know this, what a certified child life specialist does, um, but it's someone in the healthcare environment that actually helps to reduce trauma, medical trauma for kids and families due to some really invasive things that are going on. And so specifically for our NICU families, this would be, you know, our babes that are in the NICU for an extended period of time who need developmentally appropriate support. Um, and play and normalization to keep them on track because they are hooked up to so many different things. Um, And we're helping families feel comfortable holding them, playing with them, Mm -hmm. having conversations with siblings about what that's like to be in the hospital, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Also end-of-life support. When we do have, um, whether it's a pediatric patient, an adult patient, or um, a NICU baby that um, is at end of life, how do we have those conversations and what does that look like and how do we support them um, with honoring their legacy? And that's a really big part of what we do. So I started my career, you know, as a child life specialist and just thought, wow, what a privilege it is to walk with these families in these really emotional um, situations. And I thought, oh, there's got to be more to this that I don't know yet, right? Like you, you mentioned, mm-hmm. we don't talk about grief. It really doesn't come up. And it's something that if it happens, you society still says, well, you deal with it, right? Like, yeah, how you doing? But I don't, I'm not prepared to listen to your response or know what to say in response to what's going on with you. Yeah. So I thought I'm going to, I'm going to take this on that. I'm going to learn a little bit more because I want to be prepared when I'm in these situations. So I got my master's in counseling. And thought, this is it. This is the place where they teach you about grief and trauma. And this is, this is where I'll get all of that information. Wow, was I wrong? Grief yeah. was a part of one lecture of one class that mm-hmm. I took. And I thought, wow, grief is a part of all of our experiences, right? And there's a difference between death-related loss or grief for other things. Mm-hmm. Loss of a relationship, um, loss of, uh, for our NICU moms, time that they thought they were going to have, right? Mm-hmm. At home with their baby. And now we're in the NICU. And what does that mean? What does that look like? Mm-hmm. So there were all these other things. And I thought there's an opportunity here to really focus on this. So I got additional training. Um, I did additional work in that area. And again, just really fell in love with it and the privilege of 
talking about it, teaching about it, helping families through it. Mm. That's, That's so, so cool. beautiful. I don't think I actually knew about your background as a child yeah. life specialist. That makes yeah. this episode even more special. I'm so excited. Oh, yes. And I still work as a child life specialist. So I do both. Wow. I'm a counselor and, and a certified grief counselor and a certified child life specialist. I love them both too much to just do one. (laughs) That is amazing. What a gift you are to families to have that, that training in grief and to be Mm -hmm. able to offer that level of compassion. I mean, that's, that's remarkable. That's so cool. Thank you. That's amazing. It strikes me too, that it, it, it is a reminder for moms that they can find wonderful providers like you mm-hmm. who have the set of skills mm-hmm. and training and expertise that can serve them well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of times people are disappointed when they don't feel a good match right away, you know, with the right, right. Um, behavioral health specialist. But I think it's just, uh, reaffirming that there are some amazing people like you out there that are doing all this extra work to be the person for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's yeah. so cool. I love you already. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. I love you guys. It's just, it's always fun to like talk about these things. And then it it all comes down to relationship with me. I feel like in therapy and any sort of work that we're doing and then in life, nothing can happen without that relationship. And so mm-hmm. for me, it's like, that's where it all starts. And on podcasts, yeah. I'm like, if we're not friends, then what are we doing? You know? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> I love it. Well, you kind of alluded to it a little bit when you were talking about what kind of led you to grief counseling. Yeah. But you mentioned the difference between a death-related grief and grieving the loss of something or an experience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Would you be able to maybe elaborate on that a little bit? Because I think when we hear the word grief, we always think of the loss of a person. So would you be able to elaborate on that? Oh, absolutely. And that's what I think scares people a little bit from the topic of grief is they they immediately can relate to maybe a situation where it was a very intense emotional experience and they're unsure what to do with it. And that's why people sometimes are scared of grief because they're not sure what to do with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when we talk about these things that are non-death related losses or grieving experiences, we don't know what to do with it. And then it becomes something that's ambiguous that we can't really put our, our words to, or we don't really know who to talk to about it. Um, and then when you're saying, you know, like, wow, this is something that I experienced, or, you know, this, this was really hard for me. A, that's brave and vulnerable to be able to do that. But then you're waiting for like, what's that other person going to say? Like, what, how are they going to respond? Mm-hmm. And if someone doesn't know, or maybe they don't know how to acknowledge that it is a grief response, I can feel really isolating because a lot of people are associating grief with a death-related loss, right? So I'm sure a lot of our NICU mamas out there too are thinking, wow, I didn't know that some of my experiences could be attributed to grief. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that. And so even for me, whether it's uh, clinical work in the hospital or outpatient um, counseling, even just validating that and saying, wow, that sounds a lot like grief. And then people will give you, you know, you can't see me, but they'll give you those eyes and say like, well, oh, I didn't, I didn't think of it like that. I just thought it was hard or scary or, you know, they, they come up with all those emotional feelings, but that grief and giving them permission to grieve sometimes is the most powerful. So question then on that. Yeah. If someone were to ask you, what is grief? How would you describe grief? What is it to you? Such a great question. Well, it's a very personalized response, right? Mm. So we have what we show outward 
to society, to our family members, to our friends. We have the emotional internal experience um, of grief and mourning as well. And so it's different for every single person. But I think what we what we say is this, this process of um, I lost something, someone, or uh, like we talked about, a relationship could be a divorce, could be a loss of a pet, could be a loss of time or an experience, um, anticipated grief. I know I'm going to lose something, right? People who have loved ones who have terminal or chronic illnesses, mm-hmm. um, family members who have been told, you know, there's there's something going on with baby that we need to keep an eye on. I immediately now think, wow, my birthing plan might not be what I thought it was going to be. And I'm grieving that loss, you know, mm-hmm. so there's so many different facets of it. And then the other thing is whether or not, um, whether or not you can address it and have people say like, I can accept that this is grieving for you and I can support you in this because there's the disenfranchised grief, which isn't supported, right? Something happened in society says, Ooh, that's not grief. We're not paying attention to this, or I don't know how to support you in it. Right. Yeah. I think that brings to one of the biggest points that we have, which is talking about this idea of like the myths around it. And Mm -hmm. that I often find is what plays into other people's response to yours. Right. Um, when like the disenfranchised grief, right. The, the unsupportive unresponded, Mm -hmm. um, uh, God has a reason for everything, (laughs) right. That's my grief theme song. It's not mine, but what other people say. Yeah. So maybe you could talk a little bit about some of those myths. That, and such a good point is, is the everything happens for a reason kind of thing. And that is so hard. And if someone's ever told that to you, which I'm sure maybe they have, um, you kind of roll your eyes and like, but does it, but mm-hmm. should it like, does everything happen for a reason? Did it happen to you? You know, mm-hmm. and it's a really hard place to be. And so one of those myths right off the gate is like that grief, a, it was God's plan or something happened, um, you know, we needed more angels. I hear that a lot from people, mm-hmm. especially in a death related loss. Um, and depending on that person and their affiliation, whether it be religious, cultural or whatnot, it might not fit with, with what they need in that moment. Um, the other one is that grief has a time frame. like, mm-hmm. Oh, it's, it's a year, right? Like after a year, you should be done talking about it and not bring it up at parties. And like, I don't really want to hear about it anymore. Mm-hmm. And that's just not true either. And that ties into one of the other myths related to grief is that there are stages related to the grieving process. And that just ain't true. So the grief model from Kugler-Ross, which is the one that we're most familiar with as society, is actually based on experiences from individuals who they themselves were at end of life. So palliative care patients. So that data, right, that tells us, okay, their experience of denial, bargaining, anger, acceptance, that was based on their experiences, knowing they themselves were going to die much different, right. Than someone who is experiencing grief. So it just doesn't match up, but we yeah. as society latched on, we were like, wow, stages, this makes sense. This is something <laughs> concrete. Let's hold right. on to it. Right. But what that mm-hmm. does is it actually hurts people in their process of grieving because yeah. they think they have to get to acceptance and right. they have to do it in a certain order. And that's just not true. Mm-hmm. That's revolutionary. I never, I haven't actually yeah. ever heard that mm-hmm. before. Mm-hmm. It's, oh, it's, it's so just, tr- oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was going to say, it's so true though. We love, we love to put something in a category or a box because it feels so much more comfortable, but like 
Especially um, when everything doesn't fit into the right? box. Like yeah. anything we can grasp to, it's like, mm-hmm. oh, finally a system, a, you know, yes. something concrete. Right, yeah. What does the DSM say? Uh, intolerance of uncertainty, <laughs> right? <laughs> this like key, like this cornerstone of like mm-hmm. anxiety and pain, right? Um, it's so true. And people, and I think that's where a lot of people, when, when their response to when you share, right? For example, um, how many times does it come up in a day, Ashley, when you're in a store, oh, are you going to have more kids or, or how many children do you have? And we either have to have this uncomfortable weighing in our head of, do I share? Well, I almost died. And have you ever seen Downton Abbey? It was a lot like that. And you know, all these things, right. And, or, you know, I share that my son has, ha, is, has died. And so people's like immediate reaction was like, mm, and they just don't, they freeze up and they're not quite sure what to say. Um, but it's because they're trying to move to that place of comfort as quickly as possible. Right. Absolutely. It's time for our third annual walking letter of hope day on August 6th, 2022 walking letter of hope day is a 24 hour extravaganza that puts you at the center of all of our celebrations. Not only is walking letter of hope day, a 24 hour fundraising event, but really it's a day to celebrate you. It's a day to celebrate your journey, your miracle, and all that you have overcome together. So there's three ways to participate. One, you can wear your incredible walking letter of hope day merchandise Two, share on social media what you're wearing that day, what your family is up to, and also share about your journey. Share what being a walking letter of hope means to you. And three, and this is the biggie, give. There's actually two ways to do this. One, you can start an individual fundraiser, share that with your family and friends, or two, you can even start a team and gather a bunch of fundraisers under you. Join us on August 6th as we celebrate the remarkable Dear Nikki Mama Sisterhood and also as we celebrate you. You mentioned something when you were talking about the definition of grief, and you mentioned this thing called a grief response. We hear the word trauma response a lot, but I've never actually heard grief response. So can you explain what a grief response is and how it might look different than a trauma response? Yeah. And and let me clarify too, that when you, or just kind of expand on this, when you Google grief, or when you say like, what is grief, which is what a lot of our um, population does when we don't know the answer to something, we Google everything. Um, You get like 1500 different definitions. And so right off of the bat, how confusing for someone when they're like, I'm just trying to figure out what grief means or what it is or what healthy grieving, quote unquote, healthy grieving would look like versus when is it a problem? Um, so when we talk about the grief response, that that's when it clues us into what we're noticing is something that would be normal. And there is no person out there that is going to experience their life without grief. It is a universal experience. And so helping us understand what a normative or normal grief response is really does help us and aids us in that process. So crying is okay. One of the, going back to the myths conversation, we said, um, people think, oh, well, I'm not crying. Does that mean something's wrong? You know, and really it's everybody's emotional experience is different. So that's why it's hard sometimes to talk about grief in that way, because I'm going to say to you, crying is normal not crying is, can also be normal. Mm-hmm. So it just depends on what that feels right to you and what your experience is as a human being. Um, we, we use the phrase like crying is coping all the time, but it also means that for somebody it, that's not my experience. Not, it's not the way that I engage with this experience or that person. Maybe I'm a verbal processor and I need to talk it through. But that also means I need to find someone who will validate that for me and not someone who's going to turn away and say, 
oh, I don't, I, I think you should just be like, okay, right. Everything's fine. Like baby's fine. Right. So like, it's, it's, it's good. Like you're fine. And that's what you hear a lot of times from people is like, but you're okay. That, but, but you're okay. Everybody's alive. So we're good. And Mm -hmm. I often say like, it can be hard for people because it goes down to this, how you doing syndrome. And I will fully admit that I don't know if I made this up and created (laughs) it, or I heard this from someone. So either way, it's just really helpful. But it's like, if you pass someone in the hallway and you're like, Hey, how's it going? None of us are really stopping and waiting for that response. And instead we're walking down the hallway and expecting that person to be like, good, having a good day. Thanks for asking bye. And we're already past each other before we're waiting for that response. And this is really similar to grief is that we expect someone to just tell us like, I'm doing fine and I don't need anything when really they just want to talk about it. And that goes with, you know, another myth is, you know, if there's a child that has died, um, that as a friend, you think, oh, it's better to not bring them up. It's better to not talk about it because I don't want to reopen wounds or I don't want to say their name because it's too sensitive. When really we hear from a lot of parents, like that's the most powerful thing that life existed and still exists with them. So how do I honor that loved one? And we have to flip the script a little bit to teach society, like how to have those conversations Mm -hmm. so that they can be validated and supported when they need it. I keep I like, again, I feel like I'm getting all these nuggets from like these things that you say. So if I, <laughs> and keep... I go on tangents, so you just tell me if They're I like perfect. the question. <laughs> if I keep saying you said something, it's because I'm like, oh, I've never heard that yeah. before. Um, but, you know, again, coming back to this like grief response mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I feel like there's like a lot of similarities with grief counseling and trauma counseling yeah. or grief and therapy therapy. But One thing that we know with trauma healing and trauma therapy is that safety is essential. Feeling safe in your body, feeling safe with who you are talking with in an environment. Would you say that safety is essential in grief counseling as well? And what would that look like? Oh, absolutely. And I think of a client recently that, you know, said to me, it took a while for me to feel comfortable this the word safety wasn't there for this particular person but comfortable in order to open up about a really traumatic loss Um, and so again there's these different types of losses right so we talk about the death related loss uh, the non-death related loss and then within that we have traumatic losses as well Um, and so that also can really it, it, I don't want to say help in, but it helps us understand like what our process is. So when we go back to that grief response, we say, okay, what do I need to decipher? And how do I help this client decipher what's normative grief? And that really is powerful in and of itself, just saying, or validating for them, like giving them space to understand that this is a normal part of the grieving process. Um, And this is something that we need to look at. So the differentiator really for us are any times that you feel, um, all hope is lost, right? Like you, you are completely fixated on the thing that you lost and it impedes work day-to-day living to the point where you're not able to do those things, um, as you, as you normally would. And with normative grief response, that takes time, right? Like you could be sitting in your closet right now and kind of be preoccupied with something that's on your mind. Maybe that, um, came up after I, I mentioned something that you felt like hit close to home. But if it's like, I can't get out of bed consistently, I cannot eat. Um, I'm now having thoughts of, do I even want to be here? Or do I want to be with my loved one? Those are things that suicide ideation and those feelings of helplessness and worthlessness are really those differentiators 
between what mm -hmm. would be something that I would consider normal grief or healthy grieving um, versus something that would need a little bit more support and help. I mean, that's a really broad amount. I mean, really oh, think yeah. about it. Oh, like yeah. the, mm -hmm. So I, I think that that's, that should be reassuring for people to hear that and validating, like, um, if you are eating 10,000 Cheetos right now, maybe, maybe that is actually a breaking point too, but you know what I mean there or, or watching your favorite TV show because it's comforting or yeah. sleeping with something that makes you feel safe or joining a great organization. So you can talk about your experience with your peers, right? Yeah. Um, there's like a wide range of things that are quote unquote normal, whatever it even means. Exactly. And, and I even, you know, you guys see me using my quotes, which the, the audience cannot, but normal is such a weird word too. So that's why it's so important. If you feel like something is off because you know yourself best, then that's time to, to seek mm -hmm. some additional help. Um, but I think the most powerful thing that we can do for people is to address what some of those myths are, um, validate their experience for what they're in right now. And, and also, I think um, we were talking about this before we even started the podcast today, but the difference between grief that um, sometimes we feel like it's going to stay with us forever. And this, my life will always be like this and nothing will ever change. And there won't, this won't get better um, versus, you know, a, a death related loss, you are grieving that person for the rest of your life, right? It looks different though, how that happens. And so it will change over time, but it is something that will exist for the rest of your life. Whereas for our NICU moms, that type of grief that they're in for that period of time, it will get better. It will change. And that part of what do I need right now is the most important question that you can ask yourself what do I need right now? How do I know that this is different for me? And I need a little bit more support here. Yeah. And you alluded to it a little bit in, in the beginning, but what might a NICU mom grieve? You know, mm -hmm. like what is acceptable to grieve? You know, sometimes it's like, do I have permission to grieve this? Am I not grateful enough? You know, that kind of thing. Oh, right. So what might grief look like in the context of NICU motherhood? Yeah. Oh, and it's so important to, I love that you said, am I allowed to, or is it acceptable to grieve these things? Like, should I just be okay? Um, knowing that baby is okay, right? With quotes, but absolutely. Sometimes the most powerful thing that you can say is you, you have permission and you can give yourself permission to grieve these things, meaning that you expected to have a full-term baby and have that beautiful moment where you take a picture and you post it on Facebook and you're going home. Everybody's like, wow, what a healthy baby. And instead you're in the NICU surrounded by people that you don't know, surrounded by machines that you aren't familiar with and lines um, and, and things that just don't make sense. It's a world that a lot of our moms, unless they're a healthcare provider or, or you know, are both parents, aren't familiar with. And so now I'm having to learn this whole new environment at the same time, worry about the health and safety of my child. Um, and a lot of parents too, that financial piece mm -hmm. is my maternity leave going to run out before I even get to take baby home. And what does that mean? Will I have to go to work and now leave my child in the hospital because of the standards around my maternity leave? That is so hard. That's something mm -hmm. that our families grieve all the time because how, what a, what a difficult feeling to leave your baby at a hospital while you're at work and you're supposed to be doing your job according to your employer at hundred percent, right? Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. get the job done kind of thing. So that's part of it as well as siblings that might be at home, 
you know, what that would look like for um, an older, an older sibling to understand what's going on with baby. Um, if it's critical, where we're kind of, we're, we don't know from day to day how this is going to go. That's also something that's, that's really hard. You know, am I, am I like, okay, we're just, we're just helping with maybe this, this thing that's going to take a week in the NICU, which, and I don't mean to say just, right. There's no just, but okay. I know that there's an end in sight because it's a really, um, really thought out thing. The doctors have a plan. We're good. Or is it, they actually don't know. I might have to be transferred to another NICU that can do this procedure that this hospital can't. And what does that mean for us? You know, is one parent going? Is one parent staying home with the siblings? Um, We have a lot of families too who don't have grandparents or other family members in the area. So now I feel like I'm the only one um, able able to do these things and how do I juggle it all? That in itself is a grief response. You're grieving what you thought was going to be your experience and now you have something totally different and you don't know from day to day what that will look like. And that's really hard. Yeah. You know what else comes to mind? We literally, we, you know, we have a, uh, an online support group and someone yeah. shared recently just in general about the, f- the feeling of pain that they experience when they're not the, the primary caretaker. Yes. Right. Um, and how painful that was. And, you know, sometimes the, the staff are, don't even pr- presume or, or make space for you to parent alongside in this yes. space and a loss of agency um, is, seems really, um, key to all of us. So agency in terms of like, um, obviously being, being able to make decisions and freedom of, oh, I can pick my baby up whenever I want. Right. Like you never even think about that. Um, even to like the medically complex families. I mean, there's a loss of our expectations, especially with the pandemic about what you cannot, can, can, and can't do. Right. Mm -hmm. Can you bring your baby to the target for 14 hours? Like we all dream we can. (laughs) <laughs> Maybe not, right? Mm-hmm. That type of thing too. Um, I think one of the biggest things of agency, I think w- maybe we could talk about it a little bit too, is um, the idea of family planning. Yeah. Because there's that anticipatory grief of like, what does this mean for my future family too, right? Mm-hmm. Family planning and if it's not possible or you're high risk or you've had an emergency hysterectomy or any myriad reasons why. Mm-hmm. Um and, and how that anticipatory grief maybe plays into this too. Yeah. Well, how that might be I love that you even talked about that, um, idea of agency in relation to, I I'm not the primary caregiver, so I'm watching someone else do these things, but then also what it, what is that like for me to feel comfortable and safe to do those things when it's time, mm. you know, that's a different thing too. And, and you guys heard me talk about at the beginning, part of my role in the NICU is also to provide that emotional support to to parents, to siblings, but to baby, to keep them developmentally on track. And a lot of that is validating and supporting the fear that parents have of picking up the baby, um, of putting them on a play mat, of doing these things that they would get to do at home. Um, And that, that kind of fear is so real and so important to validate because it's scary. I, as a medical professional, know exactly what my lines are and what to do. I've done that for years. But as a parent watching their child 
who doesn't matter if it's a firstborn child where you have that fear of, of baby anyway, like making sure you're doing everything right, or it's, it's further down the line. Either way, it's a scary experience to say like, okay, am I going to do something with the IV if I try to pick up and hold? Like, okay, I see their numbers on the monitor. What does that mean? Um, and sometimes that fear in of itself can make it really difficult and then also make it difficult to go home because you have the safety of a monitor um, and of other people in the room with you. And you might go home now with baby who is medically clear to go home, doesn't need to be in the NICU anymore, but there are a lot of still some challenges that you have to do as a parent that might not feel as comfortable as you thought it was gonna be. You thought, okay, I'm gonna be sleep deprived. I'm, you know, I, I know that I'm gonna maybe not like my partner for a period of time because I just don't get, you know, any of these things that I once had. I'm never going to the bathroom by myself again, right? All these things. But instead of now I have to worry if, okay, do they have a fever? Like, is that what that means? Like what all of those fears come into play and you're grieving again, what you thought that experience was going to be going home with your baby. And, and that's, that's hard, you know, for families. Hmm. Well, and I think what this validates and it kind of goes back to this like permission that you gave us just a few moments ago is that every NICU mom, because their journey is unique, is going to be grieving something. And on the outside, sometimes it's like, is my grief just as valid as the grief of so-and-so's grief or so-and-so's experience? And I think what this validates is that there's enough room for all of us to be grieving something and it's valid for each of us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And, and there is, and I think that's the hard part about grief in and of itself and the fact that society doesn't really help us um, understand it or support the conversations around it is we feel like we're in silos, which is why it's so great, like organizations like you guys, because you're bringing together people who have experiences that would otherwise feel isolated, right? Mm -hmm. And be like, oh, is it just me? Like, should I be okay? Um, And then, you know, in therapy, we'll often say like that's shooting on yourself, right? Mm -hmm. Because should I be doing this? Should I be doing that? And as a parent, you're doing that enough, right? Mm-hmm. But it's a hard place to be in, in a setting like that, grieving all of these things. And maybe, maybe you're comparing yourself to, um, you know, a situation where the child is no longer alive, right? That makes it hard when you put yourself in kind of this, someone's is worse or better than mine, because the big reality is grief is just different. So there are different facets of grief. And so yours is no less valid than anybody else's. It's just different. Mm. And knowing that it is grief helps you through that, but also giving yourself or knowing that there's permission to grieve is huge because then people think like, okay, so I'm allowed to feel sad about this. I'm allowed to feel this way. Okay. But I didn't lose anybody. You know, I didn't, I I didn't lose my loved one. So should I feel this way? It's like, absolutely. Because grief is not just a death related loss. There are so many different avenues of that. And just the power of saying it and labeling something for people, as we said, people like boxes and structure, Mm -hmm. it can be really powerful to just say, this is what it is. And I wonder what it would be like for you if for the next 30 minutes, you gave yourself permission to grieve, I wonder what that would feel like. And I wonder what that would look like for you. And then they really sit in it and like, oh, okay. I don't know. I don't know what that would look like. I just wonder, I wonder if you want to give yourself that permission for the next 30 minutes to sit in that. And, and that can be a really powerful tool as well. So then maybe if 
if there are NICU moms listening, and I'm assuming that I don't want to speak for us, but both of us, I'm sure, are feeling like an element of like, oh, maybe that is grief. Maybe I've been labeling that wrong or, you know. So to any of the NICU moms listening that are like, oh, you know, what is like the next step? You know, like what is like a healthy next step? Because I think too, with grief, there's this fear that we are going to end up in our bed all day. Mm-hmm. But if we acknowledge the grief, we're going to get stuck there, you know? Yes. Oh, and I so, love that you said that because so where do that we is a fear. Mm-hmm. That is a total fear from people. So that's why sometimes just to start, I will give people a time frame because mm-hmm. I will say like, again, I wonder what that would be like for 10 minutes if you just allowed yourself to feel what you needed to feel because your body knows, your body already knows what's there and what it needs to feel. So I wonder what that would feel like because 30 minutes might be overwhelming to some people. Mm -hmm. So, okay. So what about 10? How would that feel to you? Okay. I could, I could do that. And I physically will have people set a timer sometimes because they have to know that there's an out, because as you said, some people will think I'm, I'm a parent. I don't have time for that. Right. I've got three kids at home. I'm trying to juggle everything. Like Mm-mm, you know, and, and, and in counseling, a lot of people say like, I didn't really have time to do the exercise that you said, but I tried, I tried. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm like, well, 10 minutes, I want you to set your timer. And I want you to just tell me what that felt like for you. And what was hard? What was different than you expected? Because some people might come out of it and say like, wow, it was much harder than I thought. And some people might come out of it and say, I really listened to my body. And I didn't really know what that ache was in my chest. And I just listened to it for a little bit. And wow, that was, that was the sadness right there with me. And I just listened to it. And then at the end of 10 minutes, I got up, I read a book, I went to target. Um, I did what I needed to do. And, and I think I could do it again or know when my body needed to have that space and that time to acknowledge it for myself. And that I believe truly is the next healthy step is acknowledging what it is because you a need that for yourself, but then it's also important, as you guys mentioned before, having that community, those relationships to um, feel that safety. And where does that belong? Where, where do you find that? Whether it's in an organization like this, support groups with your therapist, with your partner, family members, um, seeking that out and knowing where you can go for yourself is important. And some people don't want those things. That's really important to, to mm-hmm. acknowledge too, is I always offer services in the hospital Some people just don't want them and that can be totally okay. And so we find what does work for them. And that's what I encourage people to do for their next step is what, what is something that you're needing or what is something that will work for you? When we think back to the early stages of dreaming about what and who Dear Nikki Mama would be, we could have never envisioned the sisterhood and the movement that it would be today. And that has been made entirely possible by your generous donations. And Dear Nikki Mama continues to grow. We have been shocked by how far the message and mission of Dear Nikki Mama have reached. We now have a sisterhood, a community of members that reaches across the globe, and it's truly incredible. So if you're passionate about what Dear Nikki Mama is doing, we'd love for you to consider giving at DearNikkiMama.com slash give. Your funds help us do things like put together this podcast that you're listening to and put on our incredible in-person and virtual events. 
help us continue our online advocacy and education, and so much more. And if financially giving is not an option right now, just know that you being a part of this sisterhood and helping us spread the word of Dear Nikki Mama is equally just as important. So anytime that you share an episode that you're listening to, anytime a post resonates with you on our social media pages, or anytime you find yourself sharing about the mission of Dear Nikki Mama out in the world, just know that it's because of your giving and your sharing of this mission that we're able to do what we do. Thank you for your continued support and belief in the mission of Dear Nikki Mama. I feel like when you've been talking about this, you know, you've mentioned like this kind of grief is kind of countercultural. Like it's Mm -hmm. not, we don't talk about it. We have very limited understanding of what it is. And I think like it can, honoring your grief takes a certain amount of courage because yeah. It may not be understood by those around you or other people may have preconceived ideas of what your grief should or shouldn't look like. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, what is like, I don't even know how to phrase this question, but like, I, and you mentioned the safety. So maybe that's exactly what it is, is it's like, how do you how do you guard your heart mm-hmm. from this like countercultural idea? How do you guard your heart from people that see your grief and don't understand it while also honoring your heart? Like how do you honor and guard your heart at the same time? Yeah. Well, I think it, it kind of goes down to this concept of boundaries, right? Right. And so uh, I like to tell people like, okay, if you imagine, and this is very uh, common therapy too, if you imagine you have five spoons, you know, and each spoon has, you know, sugar in it and it represents the energy you have for something in a day. You're allowed to decide where those spoons go. And you also know then, okay, if somebody's coming to me and talking about this really hard thing, I only have two spoons left. So can I actually take that on for today? Or do I need to say, okay, I need to come back to that. And that's the exact same thing with grief is knowing what, um, what the boundary is to, as you said, guard yourself when you have people that might invalidate. And a lot of times it's not on purpose. That's the other thing I want people to know is it's not on purpose that we're (laughs) invalidating these things. It's just what we've been taught or comfort says, let me find a way to fix this. Mm -hmm. And that's the big thing with grief is you can't really fix it. Um, you can support and be there, but it's up to the individual person to figure out what their journey looks like with it. But we're not going to be able, me as your friend, I'm not going to be able to take that from you. I can sit there with you and hold that space together. And that's kind of what we would hope for, but I can't make it better. There's nothing I'm going to say that's like, but did you think about how you got that extra time? off of work and you had other people in the room who actually could do the diapers for you. Like that's kind of cool. Right. (laughs) And you're sitting there like, no, I had to sleep on a really hard couch and people were coming in at all times of the night. And I had to think about X, Y, Z and every beep made me like, okay, is this, you know, what does this mean today? So it really does come down to how do I hold the boundary for myself, knowing that I'm going to validate my own experience. I'm going to take things in doses. If, if someone's coming to me and know that perhaps they don't have ill intent, they might just, they might not know what to say here. Um, and then I'm going to find the people that do. And that's where a lot of people find comfort. And we have amazing podcasts out there right now for um, grief and loss. And we have amazing support groups and, and things in, the, in, in your community, but also nationally and internationally. Those are all things that once you read something, even if it's just a quote, people will be like, wow, 
that is exactly my experience or that is exactly how I felt in this situation. So it's just finding those avenues for you that keeps you, you know, guarded or boundaried when you need to be, but then also finding the things that are going to support you and are going to help you. Yeah. It sounds like a, that'll be different for each mom in our case, but also that it will have to vary based off of the relationship, perhaps Mm -hmm. lady in the store. We have a different (laughs) boundary than mother-in-law, right? Yes. And then and also, you however you're feeling that day, right? Maybe you appreciate the lady in the store more than mother right now. <laughs> yes. <you know? laughs> but I think it's, it's really absolutely, like you said, it goes down to also what society expects. So when we think about miscarriage and when we think about um, people who have children, I think we even talked about this a little bit at the beginning. How do you respond when someone says then, oh, how many kids do you have? You know, what do you say? Or, you know, how do you have those conversations And society will tell you, well, if the baby wasn't 12 weeks, like you should have known better before you said anything about being pregnant. And you as a mom are thinking like, but I was pregnant and I had this, this was my baby, you know, and, and really that pressure that you can feel can feel isolating. It can feel, um, again, going back to that disenfranchised grief, the non-supported grief, um, it's these rules, these expectations that we decided to put in place that says, well, you weren't that far along. So it's okay because you now can have another child um, and you didn't have to be pregnant for that long. I mean, I hear, I hear all the things guys Mm -hmm. and that what an invalidating statement to say for that person's individual experience, because someone who found out that they were pregnant um, right away, because they were tracking everything. And within that five to seven week period um, was no longer pregnant and had an early loss versus someone who had a loss at 15 weeks versus someone who had um, a, a stillbirth. They're all different experiences, but they're all still losses. And so we have to validate for that person what that loss feels like to them. And we can do that by asking questions, you know, and saying like, how can I support you? I know, and validating statements, like, um, I, I know that that was really hard and it was hard to talk about. How can I support you? What do you, is there anything I can do? Is there anything you need right now? Um, and it allows them to have that, like, okay, I, I think I just need some space, but I would love to talk about it when I'm ready, or I would love to grab a cup of coffee and just have someone listen to me when I'm ready. And holding that space as a friend or as a colleague or a partner really does allow for greater discussion, greater emotional response and validation where we can say like, yeah, I I had this experience and it feels different every time I talk about it, but it's not less valid than someone else's experience just because of timing, right? So that's the big thing is really understanding our experiences um, are never the same as anybody else's, even if someone had a loss at the same week, those two people are going to be experiencing it very different. But oftentimes, like even like in movies or TV shows there, there's always like, if there's a character that's grieving, there's always like this idea of who that character is and that character wallows, right? Like the moment they enter a room, everybody's like, oh, great. So-and-so is here. Like we need to prepare ourselves. Like, and it feels like that person and the character that's always portrayed is stuck. And so like with grief, like how do you move past 
that's stuck. And obviously, like, we would want to do that in the context of, like, therapy and, and resources and different things. But, um, you know, like, is it possible that there's joy after grief? Is it possible that, like, you aren't always in a state of wallow and, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing? Yeah. Well, if, if we look at it in the context of our NICU moms, right, who are um, experiencing a lot of change, um, loss of what they expected that they were going to have, or now life's a little bit different because I have maybe some complex medical needs that I have to take care of. Um, there is a change, right? So there is a period of time where you might feel stuck and you might notice like, okay, this is different than what, um, what I normally experience. And, and I need a little bit of support and help in order to move through this, but I'm not going to say that it's not valid. I'm not going to have to, uh, and there's a, a good podcast on like moving forward with grief instead of moving on past grief. And I think that's a big differentiator too, is like, okay, I can move forward and still acknowledge how I'm feeling, acknowledge that that's going to change over time. And it's not going to be as intense as it feels right now that the doctor just told me, um, I'm not going to get to go home when I thought we were going to get to go home. Um, and now I'm worried about what that financially looks like when I have to go back to work this feeling won't last forever, but I have to acknowledge it in this moment for myself that it does feel X, Y, Z, whatever it feels like for that person. Um, you know, you gave the example of on a TV show where we see those people and we're like, like they're wallowing in it, or there's this, um, like negative connotation Mm -hmm. around grief, which is so unfortunate because whatever's happening for that person in the moment is exactly what needs to be happening for them and only they know what to do with those feelings right Mm -hmm. um and so even when i when i see clients or whether it's hospital again or in the individual experience no two people are going to experience it the same that's why it's so tricky when i when we look at something like a prolonged grief disorder um, versus a grief response because there are so many different ways for people to grieve But I think the biggest thing is like how comfortable we are with it. So when we're watching it on those TV shows, is it making us uncomfortable because it's reminding us of something or is it shedding light on, wow, I really haven't sat with my own feelings around grief. Uh, And when I teach people and do classes on it, it's this um, personal death awareness that we talk about or knowing what a grief response is for us. And when was the last time we remember grieving? When was the first time we remember having that experience? And if we had an experience and then someone said, you're fine, get over it. Like, you know, it's been two weeks as a child. I've now learned a behavior where I'm like, oh, I just need to like get over it or shove everything down or bottle it up. Right. And so when we watch those things, I more go to people and say like, okay, what is that doing for you? When you see that person, how do you interpret it? And what is that bringing up for you? Because is it a behavior that you learned over time to not allow for that emotional response? Or maybe you feel uncomfortable that it's happening in front of other people. Um, Or maybe it's bringing something up for you that's triggered something that you haven't dealt with from the past. So it's it's really complex, right? Like how this happens, but it's so individual. It's kind of going back to the permission, the understanding what's happening for us and our bodies. And then what does that mean now moving forward? If you are a longtime listener of the Dear Nikki Mama podcast, or you have found yourself enjoying this episode, we would greatly appreciate a review on iTunes. 
Reviews on Apple and other platforms help other mamas and friends just like you find our podcast, help boost us so that we are more available and accessible to others, and they let us know that you're loving what you're hearing too. So we love to hear the stories that you're connecting with. We love to hear how the episodes resonate with you, and having that review is a great way for us to get a really tangible feel of how this podcast resonates with your heart. You know, we, during... Even in, like outside of NICU, you know, taking that bubble out for a second, mm-hmm. looking at like the pandemic years, um, yeah, there was a lot of grieving that happened on like a daily, sometimes hourly mm-hmm. basis. Mm-hmm. And what encouragement would you give for those listening? And honestly, myself included to an extent, when you're just freaking tired of grieving, <laughs> you're like, <laughs> yeah. I don't want to grieve anything else. I don't have the energy to acknowledge another layer of grief. Like, oh, great. Another week of lockdown, another event canceled, another plan that I had, you know, what encouragement or hope would you give for those that are just tired of grieving? Yeah. Oh, well, my gosh. It's so true. Right. We, I saw an influx of people in my office because of pandemic related anxiety. Um, what they were, they were viewing as maybe as depression. Right. Um, and a lot of it was grief. When you talk about being a teenager who now can't go to yeah. senior prom, right. Yeah. Because they, Oh, I need to be on lockdown when I've got all these things I'm, I'm building up to. Um, maybe it's the college tour that has to happen virtually now. And I don't get to have classes or my graduation party. Like I thought I was going to, I don't get to see my grandparents because I have to go stand on a lawn with a sign. Like, I think we forget about these real, um, early things that we did in the pandemic that were just not normal, Mm -hmm. like saying hi to people through windows, um, or waving from parking lots. Um, having to do, having people be afraid, especially people who had new babies at home. I have a really good um, friend who's also in the mental health field and she gave birth during the pandemic. And she will tell you, it was the most isolating experience of her life. And then also the most frightening because she was like, I don't, I don't know if it's safe to even introduce my child to their grandparents. Um, my husband's still going to work. So now does he need to live in a different part of the house? And for the first year of my child's life, do they get to see each other? You know, what, it, I mean, when we talk about that, and then, as you mentioned, all these other layers, like, oh, you thought lockdown was two weeks. Now it's going to be two and a half years and we're doing all these other things and, and you have to adjust, right? You have to be okay. Just adjust. Um, and I think the hope in that is, how much resiliency has come out of this and acknowledging that for ourselves, because as much as we want to acknowledge the grief too, like very, very real grief of our experiences, there's also, wow, the flexibility and the resiliency that I am able to do. And I'm able to say what my limit is and just say, you know, I, I can't do that thing. Mm -hmm. And, And I have to do this for a lot of people now, socially, I used to be like the most social person ever. (laughs) I used to be everywhere all the time, very extroverted, still am extroverted, right? But sometimes now when people are like, oh, do you want to go do something? I'm like, ooh, I already planned something on Thursday. How would be two things in one week? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) And, And you have to kind of pace yourself. So I think there's a couple things here is one, knowing that there is hope um, and that we are making adjustments that are kind of unfair, right? And acknowledging that is okay. Um, but just 
trusting yourself and knowing that if it takes you a little bit of time to get back to seeing friends four times a week, because you've got all these things going on in your mind, that's okay. Right. You are just taking it step by step. And we took a lot of steps to get into this pandemic and have made a lot of changes. We are only going to have steps moving out of it. It is not immediate. And I think what we are telling ourselves is like, oh, you should just be, again, the shooting thing. You should just be okay because mask mandates are lifting some places and we have all these other things. Like, you should just be okay. And if you're sitting there thinking, I might need a little bit more time with this, that's okay. It's, it all goes down to that concept we've talked about eight times today of permission, right? Acknowledge the good things too, along with the grief. What were the good things? And we joke about, oh, the good thing that came out of the pandemic is we're able to do Zoom and do podcasts, right? Mm-hmm. Like sometimes it's okay to sourdough bread. Yeah. <laughs> right. yeah, it's okay to it's okay to have those moments and find the humor. I think one thing we didn't really talk about yet today with the grief is humor is a really positive coping tool. Mm-hmm. And people will say, like, are you okay? Cause you're making jokes about a really tough situation. And you're like, sometimes I just have to, because otherwise I would fall apart today. And mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm just going to joke and we can do that same thing with, with the pandemic is find those moments and, and hold on to those and then give yourself permission to take it step-by-step. Step. Hmm. I wonder if a, a good kind of way to close this out is to talk about timelines for mm-hmm. grief. Um, uh, a lot of times our moms will talk about how they or others perceive that, you know, we talked about it. You were discharged. It's all good. Now you can stop, you can stop grieving that. Or if it's in terms of a, of a, of an individual of a child that was lost, you know, there's, um, you know, there's often timelines put on that too, or, you know, it's been X days, weeks, years, or whatever, you should be done with that. Or, um, even with the family building thing we talked about too, well, now you're in your forties, that's in long gone anyway. So why are you still grieving about it? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder if you could talk about one, will grief always hurt and B what is the exact timeline? That's a trick question <laughs> for, <laughs> for our grief to be done. Also a trick question. Yeah. I mean, I love that we answered it with just even the question itself, like all the trick questions within there. Um, grief itself, it, the myth of there is a timeline is the biggest takeaway of our conversation today. There is no timeline. And there's a good meme that says like, okay, what we want our grief to look like, and it's a straight line. And then what grief actually looks like, and it's a bunch of scribbles and just like a mess everywhere. And that's the reality is it is going to be so individualized to the person. Um, What I think people try to do in the kindness of their heart is when there is something that happens, whether, you know, maybe there's a mom in the NICU, people rally around right away and they're like, okay, let's get a meal train going. Let's get all these things. And you feel so supported right away in the beginning. And then again, there's this air quotes like, oh, they should be good because they're discharged now and back to normal, right? Everything's great. Um, And that's just not the case, but people believe that. And so they kind of start to trickle off. Um, and then again, just out of the kindness of their heart, they're thinking, oh, I don't want to bombard. I don't want to talk about things or rehash things that are going to, you know, bring up a lot of emotions. But then we see is that person feels really unsupported in the process of their grief when they need it the most. So right away in the beginning, we're kind of like overwhelmed with all of this love and support. And then as a couple months go by that, that trickles off. And when we hit that year mark, most people think it's been a year, you're good. Like, you, you know, I don't even think we need to bring it up anymore. And you're sitting there thinking like that actually like 
still sits with me. It sits with me different. And the way that it comes up for me is now different. I'm not maybe as emotional about it, or I'm not um, triggered by certain things that I'm seeing all the time. But wow, that one thing happened. And it really reminded me of that. And I kind of just wanted to say that out loud. Like, I, you know, that just brought me back to that time. Or maybe I found out I'm pregnant again. And I'm worried now about what that journey will look like. So it really can timeline wise, be a crapshoot, because it's going to vary based on each individual person. But I think knowing that it will change is what's so important for people to take away and knowing that it's okay. If you do have, um, something that pops up that reminds you of it, and I'm not going to use the word trigger. I'm going to use the word reminds you of an experience. And for you to sit there for a second and be like, Oh yeah, wow. That brought me back to that, that moment in the NICU and how that felt. Wow. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to keep going, but you take, it's like that mindfulness piece of it. You take that moment and you allow it to happen. You allow it to be present with you and you say, okay, I'm, I'm going to bring that in and I'm going to acknowledge that as a part of my experience as a human and what I went through. And then I'm going to move on with my day. There's another, there's so many different grief theories we could talk about, but one of them is that we kind of oscillate between sitting in our grief and avoiding it. And there's no, that doesn't mean it's right or wrong. It means that's how we have to do it for our sanity sometimes. Kids especially will have that like, oh, did you know my uh, grandpa died? I'm going to go play in the sandbox. You know, it just, it goes back and forth and adults do the same thing for protection. And so that timeline, again, trick question is because it doesn't really exist. So I'm not going to tell you like in 5.65 years, that will be non-existent. You'll never have to worry about it ever again. Mm-hmm. It actually will change over time. And a lot of people tell you once you can allow those moments to come in and remind yourself like, wow, that was hard for me. And I'm going to listen to what I need to do for myself right now. It becomes easier over time. Can I share one anecdote? I think that yeah. echoes that from um, a mom in our community yeah. who, uh, was a NICU parent like 30 plus years ago. Um, and she participated in one of our events and was as lovely, uh, then her daughter actually ended up becoming a NICU parent too. But I remember we, we talked with her and she mentioned how she sometimes grieved. She had other children who were not NICU babies. She grieved the relationship because sometimes she felt that it wasn't as close as her other kids. Um, and how she thought maybe, maybe it was the bonding, maybe it was the NICU. Right. And so she grieved that, but because she had that moment to process it and think about it the next day, we watched her and her, her daughter interact in a way and connected about that, that fear and that thought in a way we never had before. And it, it brought them so much closer together. It was like incredible goosebump worthy watching, um, and is one of the, the biggest gifts we get as being part of this. But that to me is exactly what you just described, right? She was able to sit in it, process it, think it, and then share it. Mm-hmm. And it changed everything in a 30 year relationship she had with yes. her daughter. And so, um, I, I hope that gives people hope hearing too, like hearing, hearing yes. what it could look like. It doesn't have to be scary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what a beautiful thing too, because it's changed over time, 30 years ago. It was miscarriages happen, but we never talked about it. We never knew um, if you were in the hospital, you just did it. It was kind of this mentality of like, you just get over it. And clearly for this mom, that was present for her for the last 30 years. And then as her daughter was going through that experience, it was, it was reminded like, wow, okay. 
and I get to be in this moment with you. And I also get to share in that experience and what that feels like and how powerful that we can do that, you know, and support people now that we've learned all of these different things about the grieving process, about um, taking care of each other and really human experiences and just acknowledging them, giving space for them. What a, what a powerful thing. So I love that, that story that you shared. Mm-hmm. Well, I feel like Jessica, we could talk with you for 10 hours and, <laughs> and still like barely scratch the surface. Right? right. Like, and I think a lot of it comes down to what you said of just like this misunderstanding and misportration or, you know, it's not portrayed the way that grief actually exists oftentimes mm-hmm. or one-sided of it, I guess you could say. Um, but one thing that we like to tell our NICU moms a lot, as often as we can, is that your grief is not too big. Mm-hmm. And for any of the NICU moms listening who have been made to feel like their grief is too big or that, um, you know, they haven't maybe had the safety element involved in their grief, you know, kind of as like a closing statement, like what hope or encouragement would you give those who have been made to feel that way? Well, I love that, that sentiment. Cause it just reminded me again, like you said, we could talk for 10 hours because <laughs> I feel like there are a hundred different things I did not mention yet, but one of them being, you know, the grief process can also look different over time. So you're getting, okay, maybe that my grief right now feels so big. Maybe it's the size of, you know, I kind of liken it to like Santa's backpack or bag that's like dragging on the floor with all of these gifts in it and nobody knows how it fits in the chimney right but it's like dragging me and over time maybe that goes down to uh, a duffel bag that I'm carrying with me and maybe that changes then to a backpack and then that changes to a small crossbody bag and then it comes down to a wallet or a purse and so that grief changes over time and it becomes something that is much more manageable and it doesn't feel overwhelming. So again, it can stay with you. There can be a part of it that's that's there and present for you, but it changes with its size over time. And that visual again, for some people is really nice because they're like, okay, it really did feel like I was lugging this huge bag across the floor. And now it feels like something that just kind of goes in my, in my purse. And it just kind of, it comes out when it needs to, but sometimes I forget it's there, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Man. And forgetting that it's there doesn't necessarily mean that it doesn't matter to you. It just right. means that you're in a different place of your healing too. Exactly. Um, <laughs> which could yeah. be a different podcast episode. Right? I was just going to say so as a whole other thing, things. sometimes I have grief about my grief. The fact that I'm like, grief, yes. like, I'm like, oh, it got less painful. I guess that's the memories I'll never have. I'm sorry. Yes, exactly. I mean, I song. tell you guys, it could be like, it could be, we could talk forever. Uh, we'll just have to have you on again. Yeah. A hundred percent. I would love to. I would love to. Well, man. Well, Jessica, this has been amazing. Um, oh, thank you guys. I appreciate your time. We knew that when Natalie, um, that when you were like a co, you know, you worked closely with Natalie, you were like, she's going to be great. We trust her hundred percent, but <laughs> this was, this was amazing. Um, and to any of our Nikki mamas listening that find themselves a, in a place of grief, B, um, maybe for the first time realizing that they have grief that they've maybe yet acknowledged or discovered, Um, we just want to say, first of all, that your grief is not too big, that your grief is not too ominous and I'm going to start crying, um, that (laughs) you are worthy of love and care. And so, um, we hope that today gives you that boost of courage to take that next step 
to find that safety, whether that's in the form of community like Junaki Mama or with a trusted therapist, but to know that um, you are not alone on this journey. We are all grieving in different ways and different things in different forms, but your grief is worthy and it's not too big. So thank you, Jessica, for being here with us. It was thank such an honor. Thank you so much. And um, we will absolutely have you back again. But Nikki, yes. we will catch you guys next week. And thank you so much for listening. We'll talk to you guys soon. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Dear Nikki Mama podcast. If you loved this episode, we'd be so grateful for a review on any of the podcast platforms. And we'd love to continue connecting with you via our social media pages or our private Facebook group. And ultimately, Nikki Mama, welcome to the sisterhood.